0: Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
1: And it is Thursday, March fourth, two 2010, and this is the Virtual Bible Study, and we're live, and we appreciate you being a part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad.
2: Jacob, hello. Great to be with you tonight. Uh, we always look forward to Thursday night and our... Regular Thursday night internet Bible study.
1: And the crowd is coming into the virtual uh, Bible study room tonight, and we're glad that you're here. We look forward to hearing from you on the phone tonight at 877-381-4567. You can email questions at collegeview.com. You can join in with other listeners. In the chat room, lots of ways for you to stay in touch with us tonight. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Last week we had a an interesting uh, guest and a um, pretty uh, wild discussion. We have a guest tonight, but hopefully not as wild
2: right tonight we're going to to talk about a subject that is very important Uh, we have touched on it in past episodes of the virtual bible study but tonight we hope to get into some more detail we want to talk especially about the age of the earth with its implications toward the the general theory of evolution and then we want to talk about the general theory of evolution as well earlier today to our update list i sent out a couple of questions one of them was do you believe the earth is basically do you believe the earth is young or old and what are your arguments in favor of the position that you hold Uh, some people think the earth is very old on the order of the the earth and the universe on the order of billions of years old Uh, others think that the earth and the universe are on the order of just thousands of years old and we want to know which do you believe and why and then uh, concerning the general theory of evolution. Do you believe in it or not? And, again, why? Those were the questions we sent out earlier today to our update list, and you can uh, uh, be a part of that update list. If you're not already, just send us an email to questions at collegeview.com, and we'll be glad to put you on. Just say, put it, put me on the list, and we will do that. And we're glad to, to keep you informed about our topics for study on the Virtual Bible Now, Store. I heard
1: from one of our listeners who is uh, subscribed to that list and he's not getting the email. If you subscribe, I don't want him to check your spam filter to make sure you're yeah, not letting Yeah, I've heard
2: turn. that. I've heard that some who, are, who have in the past received our updates. We have not purged our list or, or deleted any email addresses. And so if you're not getting them, my guess is that your spam filter is probably knocking them out of line. So uh, check on that, and you should be able to clear it up. To help with our discussion tonight, Jacob, we have a special guest. Dwight McGee uh, is joining us on the phone. Dwight, welcome.
3: Thank you, Greg. Good to be here with you.
2: Uh, Dwight, you are a high school science teacher in Florence, Alabama, and your special field of study is astronomy. Am I right?
3: Yes. Actually, I've, I am on a middle school campus, and I deal with kindergarten through high school students. And uh I run a planetarium and observatory and so it's my job to interpret scientific data for the uh, kids, bring it down onto their level.
1: So you've got a big telescope there in there that you're you're
2: using to teach the kids?
3: Yes, yes. We just got a grant from Toshiba and we're using the telescope to search for meteorite strikes on the moon right now.
2: Wow. Oh really? have you seen any?
3: Uh, not yet. Not yet. We're, getting started. we're hoping to We're hoping to land some. NASA's doing some parallel research, so we're anxious to uh, Oh, that's very, that's, that's
1: very neat. Now, I, just to, So how what kind of detail can you see on the moon with your telescope?
3: Well, uh, of course, you can see uh, the craters. You can see down inside of the crater's central peak. But what we're looking for on the darker side of the moon just flashes from those meteorites that strike and explode.
2: How often? Do, this is completely off topic, Dwight. But how often do meteorites hit the moon? What's the estimate? What's uh, well,
3: uh, we don't know. NASA's probably—I I forgot exactly—maybe a hundred in the last three or four years that they've recorded. Of course, they're happening all the time, but those are just the ones that they've caught.
2: Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Well, the reason that, that I asked you to be on the program with us tonight, Dwight, is because. Uh, recently when you and I were discussing some things, uh, uh, when we, when we had a chance to have a conversation, we were talking about the age of the Earth and you said that you are in sort of a unique situation that you are a young Earth scientist. In other words, you believe that the Earth, as I said a few minutes ago, you believe the Earth and the universe is only thousands of years old, not millions or billions of years old. And that's a little bit unique in your field of study.
3: Yes, it really is. There uh, The only other astronomer that I know, uh, I'm sure there are others, but the only one that I'm real familiar with is Dr. Danny Faulkner at the uh, University of South Carolina at
2: Lancaster. He also is a young Earth creationist in the field of astronomy. Well, very interesting. Um, so what we want to talk about, and again, to our update list, we ask you the questions, the questions we want to deal with. The first one we want to talk about is the age of the Earth and the universe. Dwight, as I understand it, those who teach an old universe would argue that our our universe is on the order of 20 billion years old. The Big Bang supposedly happened about 20 billion years ago. Is that right? Well,
3: something somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah,
2: yeah and then and then of course the Big Bang. All the matter that constitutes the universe was compressed in a very incredibly tiny little spot, and then under such intense pressure. This big bang occurred, and everything started hurtling out from that from the site of that explosion and It took a long time it was so hot and so volatile and moving so rapidly that it took a long long time for things to cool off enough that that solids could begin to form again and our solar system if if I remember correctly, they're saying that our solar system slowed down and cooled it off enough to become a solid, solid masses about. Four to five billion years ago is that right?
3: That sounds about right
2: yeah and and so we're talking about incredible long periods of time in other words they're saying that it took on the order of fifteen thousand a fifteen billion years just for the matter that constitutes our small little solar system to have reached far enough away from the big bang slowed slowed down and cooled off enough. That it could solidify and form planets in the sun and so forth. Uh, so they're talking about incredible periods of time.
3: Yes, they are, Greg. If you don't mind me interrupting you on on that, uh, one of the things that I think is really, really important to point out is that little blob that exploded to cause all of this. There's absolutely no explanation for where that came from. So you've got to back that up to get the real picture you got to back it up just a little bit before this nothing exploded and explain that that nothing came from nothing. That's right. Before it exploded. And, and therein is the fate. And many times when you're dealing with the Big Bang, uh, people will skip that. And, and it, it's an embarrassing point, and I don't blame them for skipping it, except that they have their faith in nothing and
2: they're, they're blind to the truth. That's right. That. Assuming that it happened, you'd still have the unanswered question of where did that mass come from? That generated the the, the Big Bang, that, right. and they have no answer to that. Absolutely, no none. answer at all. Right, exactly. Right. The number
1: to call is eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Email questions at collegeu We're talking with Dwight McGee from Florence, Alabama. If you have any questions you'd like to ask him, you're free to give us a call or send us an email. We'd like to hear from
2: you. Dwight, let me. I, I want you to give us some of your reasoning that led that leads you to the conclusion that the Earth and the universe is is relatively young. We're talking about thousands of years old, but still relatively young. From what I've been able to determine, and you correct me on anything I say that's wrong, but what I've been able to determine, we're talking about a universe that is less than 10,000 years old, uh, more on the order of maybe six to 7,000 years old. If right. uh, And uh, that, that's a huge difference. There's a huge difference between 10,000 and 20 billion I mean that. I mean they're not. You can't even put them on the same chart. That that they're so different. I mean this is sort of like the difference between my budget and the federal government budget uh, in magnitude. Uh, Tell us some of the things that almost literally, by the way, uh, almost practically literally. Yeah. Okay. uh, Tell tell us some of the things that, in your mind, lead you to the conclusion that the Earth is young. Okay.
3: Okay. My first of all, I might mention from scientific point of view, and then I'll, I'll move to the scripture. Obviously, I believe in the inspiration of scripture. When I read the scripture, when I look at Genesis one, I look at the genealogies following that. It's abundantly clear to me that God intended to communicate to us that we were uh, in a young earth. There's just no other way around. Um, around that. When I first started and I was uh, considering the question of the age of the earth, I looked at several different angles, and every time that I would pursue a path, there was a Bible roadblock in the way. Now, uh, from the uh, field of science, what I have come to understand is that we have a tremendously limited knowledge about exactly what's happening in the universe. We if we want to measure the actual distance to stars, for instance, if we use parallax on Earth with a regular telescope that had been done for years, our limit's about uh, 326 light years.
2: Now, now, explain that, Dwight, because okay. when, we, when we were talking the other day, this really intrigued me. In other words, you're saying... In, in, in layman's terms i i would you call it parallax i, I would call it like triangulation in other words right. here on earth if if we can establish three points we can calculate the distances between them if we know if we know one of those distances we can calculate the other distances right. using a process of triangulation and that's basically what they try to do in re- reference to distances in the universe in other words Try to figure out how far they away, obviously we can 't run a tape measure, and so we 're going to try to to do some triangulation or parallax uh, analysis to figure out how far they are away but why why is that limited to explain why that would be limited in in the case of trying to judge the distance to stars okay
3: and it, basically because they 're so tremendously far away now that 's limited because of our atmosphere as well well there is a satellite that 's going up it's a Parker satellite and they were able to use that satellite outside of the Earth's atmosphere and get to distances up to 3,000 light years. So, uh, what those are the actual distances that we could sit down with a piece of, uh, of paper, pencil, and actually figure out. You Not,
0: measure
2: the distance. In other Go words, ahead. the accuracy then is limited. In other words, you could only be certain of your measurement within those limits. If you're doing this parallax study from Earth, with the with the distortions that are inherent in looking through our atmosphere, you're limited right. to just over 300 light years. To to have an accurate, and but if you use this new satellite to get to get outside the Earth's atmosphere, and also I assume to increase the distance, the the the, uh, uh, on the base of the triangle, so to speak, to get your measurement, you you might go to three thousand light years and be accurate. But three thousand light years is like my backyard in regards to the to the universe, right?
3: Right, right. And see, that's the problem. Also, you've got the problem with the, the light diminishing as it leaves an object. Um, uh, not only are we limited to somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 light years at this point to the actual stars that we can measure, we're also limited to the amount of information we get from the stars based on the fact that light diminishes by what's called an inverse square law. That means if I'm twice as far away from the object I'll only get uh, – the light diminishes by four times. Right. So uh, having known that, when I leave the sun and go all the way out to Pluto, all the information that we can get from the sun would be really, really diminished because the sun would just look like a bright star even that
1: close.
2: In no other words, if, 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 if I was no farther away from our sun than our planet Pluto is – our sun at if you were if you were able to stand on the surface of pluto and look at our sun it would just look like a bright star
3: it looks like, yeah yeah it would look like a really really bright star it would be a big star in the sky but uh, it would just look like a star and that tells us that uh, the vast amount of information in the universe is unknown and that's one of the interesting things about astronomy is that what was true in astronomy yesterday is not true today, and it won't be true tomorrow. That there's just so much guesswork, and there's so little that can actually be known for certain. Now, they're good. Uh, they're good uh, ways to establish further distances, but they're all based on theory. And some of them. Go ahead.
2: So when when they tell us that, for instance, such and such a star is three million light years away from Earth. That's nothing more than a calculated guess.
3: That's right. Now, I'm not going to argue with the calculated guess. They've got some good calculations behind them, but they are guesses. And here's the point, uh, that I think is pertinent to our discussion. And that is that what we're doing is taking the guesswork of mankind, and we're going to say, I'm going to throw out the scripture based on the guesswork of mankind. There's a passage in Mark, uh, chapter 13, verse 31. Where Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And there's the balance in my mind. When I I see the absolute nature of the truth of Jesus' word on one hand, and on the other side of the balance, I have guesswork of mankind. It just does not make sense to me that people are throwing away their faith based on a theory of the Big Bang that came from nothing. And and based on uh, calculations that are that that you can't prove and they're throwing away the word of God in favor of that. And I think that's the real issue.
2: Yeah. Dwight, in our chat room, uh, Anthony in the chat room says uh, he he gives you an amen. He says, we do know very little, yet the media would have us believe the opposite. We get we get uh, statements in the media that these things are all established fact. And the truth of the matter is, that it is not an established fact. It's only, at best, an educated guess. Right, right. Okay. Yeah,
3: yeah. And uh, I'm really, really sad to see that's happened with evolution in general. I mean, that's spoken about as if it's just the fact, and there's just no evidence
1: for and it. And sadly, as you said, uh, Dwight, the people, Christians even, are believing uh, what the media is telling them about these facts. We're going to take a short break and we'll continue the discussion on the other side. If you'd like to talk with Dwight, give us a call right now. Send us an email. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this.
0: You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these
4: important messages. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of New Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this, which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow? Them all. Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6 verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of you Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous.
5: This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program.
0: We'd love to hear from you anytime. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome
1: back to the virtual Bible study. Tonight, we're talking with Dwight McGee from Florence, Alabama. To break it down, what we've said so far, basically, Dwight, is is the what we're talking about when people throw out these long li- uh, periods of time and say that the star is so many light years from Earth, it's basically equivalent of going to a football game, sitting on the top row of the stadium with a tape measure, and trying to measure whether or not the player made a first down. When we get okay. that far away, right, we, We're they're, they're just guessing, right? Right.
2: right. Okay. Uh, by the way, to our listeners in the chat room, Jacob looks like uh, the moderation has been turned off in the chat room. Anybody wants to, whether you have an account or not, you can get in there and chatter away. That's right.
1: Let us hear from you on the phone, over email, or in the chat room tonight. Um, Dwight, we've talked about the fact that a lot of people are, are compromising their belief in the scriptures based upon the so-called fact of the scientist when you were coming to uh... study this did you did you go to some effort to to harmonize it in your mind
3: Yeah, yes i did well basically here's my uh, position i had believed uh, had no reason to doubt of the young earth i mean we all uh... set in bible schools kids and, and learned the days of creation i actually had to memorize the genealogies didn't have a clue why he wanted us to do that uh... but i can see some wisdom in it now and when I came to uh, the study of astronomy and, and I knew that I'm going to have to make a decision here. Am I going to uh, risk uh, possibly a job or something based on a misunderstanding of Scripture or uh, what does the Bible have to say? And, and that's really where I started uh, seriously digging into what does the Bible say. Uh, concerning the age of the earth and my conclusion is it's it's quite clear
2: that god intended for us to understand it was a young earth exactly right um and as you say there's there is a prejudice in the scientific community against the view that you've taken and the view that we agree with concerning the idea of a young earth uh and and you know even a couple years ago there was a movie you know uh uh, expelled uh, 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 which was really a movie that talked about the 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 prejudice in the scientific community against this but look, back let's let 's back up to it real quickly, and then i don 't want you to talk about some of these factors from the scriptures that convince me okay. concerning the age of earth, but one of the things that challenged me at one point i think I think I have the answer in my mind at least to it i 'd like to hear your confirmation of what i 'm thinking but um, okay let 's assume that we've got a, a star that is maybe even 100,000 light years away, right. maybe a million light years away. Right. Okay, so what that says is it takes light, traveling at the speed of light, it takes that light a, a million years to get to Earth. But if if you're saying that the Earth has only been here for less than 10,000 years, then I wouldn't even be able to see that star In other words, the light from that star would only be beginning its journey to here. It wouldn't be here yet. How can I see that star? If you're telling me the Earth and universe is less than 10,000 years old, but by all good estimations, this star is a million light years away, how can I see that thing? That, okay. that that that's a challenge, a lot, of, and I I I think I know the answer you're going to give, and I agree with it. But I'm just saying that's a challenge to a lot of people trying to get these things squared away in their mind.
1: Yeah,
3: that is a legitimate uh, that is a legitimate concern, and my my simple answer to that is that I'm not going to challenge if somebody says it's that far away. Okay, I don't have a problem with that because I believe that God created a full-grown universe. And there is a, there's a parallel to that in Matthew chapter 14 that I'd like for you to think about with me. In Matthew chapter 14, and verse 16, uh, Jesus, uh, he had a huge group there with him, and they needed to be fed. In verse 16, Jesus said unto them, uh, They do not need to part give you them to eat. And they said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and two fishes and looked up to heaven. He blessed and brake, and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. Now, if if some of those disciples would have taken those uh, baskets, the, those 12 baskets full, into the uh, nearest city, took them to a biologist, asked him to tell them how old those fragments were. Those fishes, well, yeah. Yeah, the fishes, uh, fragments of fishes, or, or, or the loaves of either one. And asked how they would uh, explain to them real quickly, based on the laws of science, those things had to be, you know, however long, to a couple years old, whatever it took for those fishes to develop. And uh those disciples would tell, them, "Oh no, that can't be. These are just a few minutes old or or just an hour too old and if If you're going to hang with science on that, you would have to say well that that's impossible. It can't be. You see with creation as well as this, we're looking at a miracle, and God created a full gone universe as well as he
2: created, and, and the, so he cre- he created the star. And he created the light in transit from the star to the earth so that we could see it, because that was the purpose of his creation. The, the stars were given as a light in the night sky. And so he created them in a mature state, not only the star in its position, but also the light from that star so we could see it on earth. I, I think that's a very legitimate answer. Uh, you, uh, uh, in confirmation of that, Dwight, in Genesis chapter 1, the very first thing that God created was light. He said, let there be light. He he did that on day one. He didn't create the stars and the planets until day four. And and so what you see right there in Genesis 1, there's nothing, there's no deception about it. Nothing's being hidden. God created light without a light source. It's, it's very plainly described there in Genesis chapter 1. Of course, he's the almighty creator. He has such power and ability. It's not a stretch of his ability to do that. But now,
1: That's right, Dwight. You said the, the, the farthest star we can uh, real accurately measure the away is 3,000 light years.
3: Yes, it, it, to my knowledge, at present time. Do you, now do there you, have to be uh, now there have to be stars further out for that. And also, when you look at uh, pictures such as the Hubble Deep Field, you see items to us that we can't even see, and would look like pinpoints of light further uh, turn out to be full galaxies.
1: And but but you don't you don't doubt that there could be we could have stars in our galaxy that are 100 million light-years away. Oh, no,
3: no, 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 no. I wouldn't challenge that at all. Okay. My, my point, though, is we just don't know.
2: We don't have proof. We don't know how far away. We go. just don't. Those, dis- those massive distances in the universe are sort of an unknown. I think that's what's really interesting. Uh,
1: I, one, I have one other question that's similarly related. Uh, Dwight, the scientists repeatedly tell us that our universe is expanding, I guess, so that it sort of harmonizes this Big Bang theory. Uh, do you yep. see evidence that the universe is expanding? Yes, yes.
3: I think okay. the... Uh, I, I think the evidence
2: on that is correct. Okay. Um, Dwight, another another argument that I know you've heard and I've heard from Genesis 1 concerning the fact that God created a mature creation in all aspects is is regarding Adam himself, Adam and Eve. Uh, the, the Sort of a trick question that's sometimes asked is, how old was Adam 10 seconds after God created him? Well that's, yeah. a, that's a real easy question. The answer is in the question, he was 10 seconds old. That's right. The follow-up question is how old did he appear to be? And the answer to that is he appeared to be a full-grown, mature man because the first instruction God gave to him was be fruitful and multiply. Absolutely. And so, again, some people say, well, was God trying to trick us? No, God actually revealed that to us, that he created everything in a mature form.
3: Right. That, that's exactly right. That, And there's no um, – if you tried to create the earth bit by bit – uh, as evolutionists would say, it would actually take more miracles, it would seem to do that, than it would create a full-grown working Earth. I mean, where are you going to get your soil if uh, you have to wait billions of years for the rocks to break down?
1: Right. It's a series of miracles uh, for the evolutionary right.
2: theory to work. Right. Uh, what, uh, Dwight, tell us now, of course, so we've kind of covered from from the astronomy standpoint the uh, the idea of uh, how that might impact our thinking on the age of the Earth what are some of the? But you said, obviously, you're a Bible believer, and you're going to believe what the Bible says. And right. and give give us some of the arguments from the Bible that would imp, that would certainly teach a young age for the universe.
3: Okay, uh, and and this was an exciting study for me as, as I first uh, looked at this in light of the question of the age of the Earth. And I would back up to day four, uh, and if you back up with me. And verse 14 of Genesis chapter 1. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made two um, great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night to divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and evening and morning were the fourth day. God put those stars up there, and on the fourth day you could see them. Uh, You know, if if, if someone – Adam's not there yet, but they were visible to be seen. God put them up there. They were
2: were for lights. It says in verse 15, they were to be for lights in the firmament of heaven. Right. Okay.
3: Now – I can ask some questions about this. Let's suppose that I wanted to turn that day, as some want to, let's suppose I wanted to turn that day into a billion years. Okay, I've got a real problem because now I have the sun up in the sky and I have an evening in the morning. And so if I'm going to say that this is literally a billion-year day, then I've got half a billion years with the sun in the sky on one side of the earth, at the same time I have a half a billion years of night on the other side.
1: You, you thought this winter was cold. <laughs> what? You thought this winter was cold.
3: Yeah, yeah, you're talking about global warming, at least half of the earth would be fried. Yeah. Okay? So that's absolutely not going to work. And then somebody and plus, says, plus just,
2: just to expand upon that just a little bit, Dwight, there was just one cycle, one one morning and one evening. There right. was just one period of light followed by one period of darkness there. And so it's either a billion-year-long day or it's a normal 24-hour day as 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 we believe that it is.
3: Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Now, someone might counter that and say, well, I meant that it was a billion years made up of a billion different days. Well, you've got a problem there, like you said, with the evening and the morning. What God said, it was one day, and I'm saying it's a billion. There's an obvious contradiction there. There's another problem when I look at the age of Adam. When I understand that uh, Adam was 930 years old when he died in Genesis chapter five at verse five, then uh, Adam lived through whatever part of day six, and he also lived through all of day seven. And as he did that, there is no way for those to have been billions of years because he lived those two days and then 930 years
1: more. Oh, excellent point.
3: So you 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 just can't make that match. Also, when I go to the book of Genesis, I'm sorry, Exodus and Exodus chapter 20, this is an interesting point. There would be some that would have some controversy on the days uh, in Genesis chapter 1. Well, if there was any question in our mind, God closed that door again in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, he said, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, he goes back, and in the context of Exodus chapter 20, he's talking about six days, six days you work and you rest on the Sabbath. Then he goes back and parallels that to the beginning, in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth. Now, if I were a slave to one of those Israelites, I would hope that my master understood that it was six days and not six billion year period. S- six literal that days, 6
2: six twenty-four hour days, rather than. That's
3: what I'd want. Yeah. Come Saturday, I'd want to rest.
2: Yeah, and I understand what that that the Hebrew construction there, Dwight. When you have that word "day" and I believe it's the Hebrew Hebrew word "yom," right? When it's preceded by a numeral, in every place where it's found in that form, it in the in the scripture. It is always referring to a 24 hour day. If this is different, then this would be an exception because every place else we're able to confirm that it's referring to a literal 24 hour day. The, 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 the Hebrew construction of that argues that he's talking literal, not figurative. You know, the word day uh, can be used figuratively. You know, right. if, if I were to say to you, well, in my day, we didn't do it that way. You'd understand that I was talking about an era of time. Uh, uh, but, and so we can't it's, – it's, it's understood that the word day can be used figuratively. But when the Hebrew construction here in Exodus 20 is as it is, every place we find that type of construction, the word yom preceded by a, a numeral, in every instance in the Old Testament, it is a literal 24-hour day.
1: All right. We need to take one more break here uh, in the, the bottom of the hour Dwight, here. can
2: you stay with us? Yes, yes, I'll be here. But Dwight,
1: uh, you're going to have to turn up the volume a little bit, and uh, they're starting to discuss which came first, the chicken or the egg, in the chat room. So we're going to have to try and engage them (laughs) a little bit better on the other side of the break. Okay. All right, don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this.
0: Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement.
2: This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Recently, the mayor of Moscow, Russia, proposed fining local weather forecasters for their inaccurate weather predictions. In a Moscow Times article, he was quoted as saying, we are paying and would like to receive a quality product. Instead of that, you're giving us, and we can't repeat here what he said. Weathermen around the globe may literally shake in their boots over the suggestion of fines for missed forecasts. However, we demand better from other professionals like doctors, lawyers, and so forth. Why not from meteorologists? Think about it. The next time your picnic is spoiled by an unexpected thunderstorm, you could sue the weatherman for climatological malpractice. Of course, such will never happen, but it is an interesting idea, isn't it? Along the same lines, we were thinking that maybe we could impose fines on religious false teachers. For instance, if someone is found to be teaching error on the plan of salvation, an instant fine of $1,000. Or, if they promote an unauthorized form of worship, they're hit with a huge monetary penalty. If such a thing were possible, you would imagine that folks would become much more careful about what they teach and practice religiously. Of course, there's no chance that any such fines for religious malpractice will ever happen unless we consider the eternal consequences of teaching and practicing error. Jesus spoke of that when he said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. The fine on that day will be much higher than any will want to pay. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Wow, this Internet thing is really growing. And what could be better than using the Internet for Bible study? I guess that's what they were thinking
0: when they dreamed up the virtual Bible study. Good idea, don't you think? Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Welcome
1: back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. We're talking with Dwight McGee from Florence, Alabama, about the age of the earth tonight. We had a question in the chat room, Dwight. How much of creationism are you allowed to teach in your classroom?
3: How much creationism am I allowed to teach in the classroom? Well, um, the way I have to handle that is that I cannot teach children error. And so when that question comes up, I have to tell them the truth on it, and, and I uh, intend on practicing
2: that. Appreciate, and, you, appreciate you for that. Yeah, thanks for that. doing that, Dwight. i uh, got a couple of, of uh, emails I want to get in here. Uh, Anthony has written a thoughtful uh, analysis of this age of the earth thing, and uh, let me read what he says a little bit longer, but I'll read it real quickly. The primary reason I believe the Earth is young is very simple, because the Earth, because the Bible says so. Really, that's all we need. But of course, we must work hard to convince those in the world that we are correct without relying solely on the Bible, since they may reject the Bible. There are several observable phenomena that point to a young Earth, such as the decaying magnetic field, human footprints in coal layers that are supposedly billions of years old, the amount of hydrogen in the atmosphere, and simple population statistics. Furthermore, the dating methods used to supposedly prove that objects are billions of years old are riddled with utterly utterly flawed assumptions and methods which i won 't enumerate here. These methods are completely unreliable, yet they are all about the evidence and evolution they are about all the ev- evidence an evolutionist can point to for his claim of an ancient earth. The fact that people accept as reliable these dating methods point to a fundamental problem in our society both with the practice of science and with the uh, public perception of science and scientists. Folks need to realize that scientists almost unanimously start with the assumption that there is no God. This extreme bias skews everything they do. They want desperately to support the ideas of evolution, and even though they may claim objectivity, their methods and conclusions are most often anything but objective. Let me give you an example of how this works. Today at work I was asked to compile some data to illustrate a certain phenomenon that we generally knew was happening – but that we hadn't really quantified before. Not only did we start with the assumption that the phenomenon is real, but it was also in our best interest to prove the phenomenon. So I went through the process of analyzing the raw data. As I did so, it was up to me to determine how to manipulate the data, which data to use and which data to throw out. I I found myself going through many different iterations, trying to find the formula that would do the best job of supporting the assumption we had made at the beginning. In other words, I realized how biased I was being as I was handpicking the data. Of course, realizing the need for honesty and integrity, I tried my utmost to be objective and fair about the data I chose, but it was very hard and ultimately technically impossible to remove my bias from the equation. Furthermore, once I presented my findings, no one would know the difference. They trust me as an expert, as many people do with scientists, and basically just take my word for it. This is exactly what scientists do with their research. They are starting with an assumption that there is no God, and they do everything they can to prove that is true. Unlike me, in my data analysis, they have no qualms about skewing and manipulating the data. Just look at the climate gate scandal that has erupted lately. Folks, this is how things work in the world of science. And just like my superiors took my word for it when I presented my analysis, so do common folks simply accept what scientists say at face value. I have met many scientists while studying biology in college, and I have even participated in their research. I am here to tell you that basically the scientific community is more often than not just a bunch of atheistic eccentrics who are forced to publish or perish and are simply trying to perpetuate their own atheistic bias. That's a very well-worded and very well-thought-out response. Thank you, Uh, buddy. Any any thoughts uh, relative to that, Dwight?
3: I can't improve on that. Uh one of the things that uh, is intriguing is when you go back and you see the mistakes in carbon dating for instance and and uh if you have a maybe some sources on young earth creationists they they will point you to those errors. And and some of them are fantastic the uh, amount of error uh, in the dating methods that have been used, yeah, um, that, that, that's right.
2: Those radiometric dating uh, methods, I think that throws uh, Christians sometimes for a loop too, because they they think the scientists have proved that that here, here's this here's this fossil, and they're telling us it's five million years old, and that they have done carbon dating, and it confirms that it is in fact that that old. Well, as as Anthony said in his email, and as we know those dating methods are are based upon unproven assumptions concerning uh, the methods i mean there's an assumption about uh, what the what the radioactive level of say carbon 14 was in the sample initially there's assumptions about the decay the the, the constancy of the decay rate of Carbon fourteen Man, it's a closed and so forth. system the no yeah, yeah there's an assumption that it's a closed system that nothing corrupted the sample any time during its decay and there's just all kinds of assumptions and and those radiometric dating methods have been proven again and again to not be reliable, and so Christians should not have their faith shaken by those kinds of uh, estimations
3: yes that's that's exactly right if I were when I'm interested in using the world of science to help me with the understanding of the universe, one of the things that stands out in a positive way is to use the exactness and preciseness of the universe that God created in our world, for instance, and use that as testimony that this could not have happened by accident, and I believe that that's what God does in the Scriptures as well. The heavens declare the glory of God. Let me share with you one quote, if I may. Sure. And And um, this was from the Apologetics Press, and it has to do with the, our trip around the sun. It says, interestingly, uh, Interestingly, however, the Earth moves in its orbit around the sun. It departs from a straight line by only one-ninth of an inch every 18 miles. So you try to go, we're going at 67,000 miles per hour around the sun, and we depart from a straight line one-ninth of an inch on every 18 miles. If we had departed by one-eighth of an inch, we'd get too close to the sun, we'd burn up. One-tenth of an inch, would be too far away, and we'd freeze. And to look at that type of precision and to say that that came from an explosion, that came from nowhere, it came by accident, is absolutely absurd. Not only is it absurd that all of us came from, all of the universe came from nothing that blew up, to see the order that God created and to claim that that order just got here by accident and is sustained by accident is absolutely absurd. You take that and combine it with the fact that when you see the scientists' dating methods, etc., aren't on target, then it makes it, a little, it makes it easy for me to decide where to put my faith.
2: Exactly. Let me read another email from Johnny in Leoma, Tennessee, who says, uh, I noticed your questions started with the phrase, if you believe. You are correct by saying that because no matter which position you take, young earth, evolved earth, It will be taken upon one's own belief. That said, he says, how old is the earth? Well, how old was Adam when God created him? How old would science say he was? I can see science people standing around Adam say, let's say, 30 minutes after he was created, telling the world that Adam is 20 or 30 years old because of the proof they have. Seems a silly point. The statement has been made that God can do anything. Well, there are a few things he cannot do. He cannot sin. He cannot go back on his word. And I don't think God can create anything without some appearance of age. I have no problem believing God created the earth in seven days like the Bible said that he did. If the evolutionist was on earth three weeks after creation, they would still say the earth was millions of years old. While the study of creation is fascinating, if one would read the entire book of Genesis, he would find few chapters devoted to creation, but many chapters on the life of Joseph, for instance, who lived a life like Jesus. I wonder if that should be the, the, uh, be our main point of fo- focus. Well, We're not denying the importance of studying the Bible characters in the book of Genesis like Abraham and Joseph and the others. But I believe that it is important for us to spend some time focusing on these questions about God's creative work. Because I know personally of Christians who've had their faith seriously challenged uh, because they've been presented with the idea that science has proved and the Bible therefore must be wrong on the age of the earth.
1: Exactly right. And, uh, and since it is, people are being challenged in their faith. We need to talk about it. And we're not focusing on it. It's not the only thing we talk about. We don't just deal with the first chapter of Genesis all the time. We look at the whole Bible. But we do need to talk about this because in, in it helps our faith. It helps to show the power of God when we talk about what he did in his creation.
2: All right, Jacob. Let's take our final break, and when we get back, Dwight, we're gonna we're gonna try to expand this a little bit further to look at some of the other arguments about evolution and why we think it couldn't have happened the way the general theory of evolution claims. All
1: right, claims. We're, we're running out of time, but we're looking forward to hearing from you at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this.
0: These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this.
5: Hello, everyone. I'm Brett Haines. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew twelve, verse thirty-four, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at nine thirty A.M. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night?
0: Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. Welcome
1: back to the Virtual Bible studies night as we talk with Dwight McGee from Florence, Alabama, about uh, the age of the Earth. Dwight, we're spending millions and billions of dollars to go out and explore uh, the universe. Uh, we're trying to find life on Mars and uh, things like that. How much of that uh, money is being spent because people are trying to prove the Big Bang Theory?
3: Well, the a good part of the early uh, idea of headed to Mars was to pr- uh, prove that there was life there, uh, earlier last century there were some people that were convinced, Percival Lowell and some others, that were just absolutely convinced and convinced a lot of other people that there were Martians. And that started a ball rolling looking for alien life. I think that's part of the motivation. And uh, certainly anybody that, have that would want to prom- uh, promote the theory of the Big Bang would be uh, interested in anything that they could, um, uh, any information that they could get to, Prove that, however, um, the information that we get uh, concerning the exactness of the universe and all turns out to uh, be proof for the existence of God
2: uh, uh, Hey, Dwight just again off topic but I had a person ask me just recently do you as, a, as an astronomer, you, you got any thoughts on the question of life in other parts of the universe? okay
3: well, uh, that's an interesting question. what we found out and the places where we thought that there were life. The answers end up to be absolute zero. Uh, as a matter of fact, a few years ago we discovered a meteorite in um, Antarctica. At the time, NASA said that uh, this was proof that life was on Mars. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, it I remember Antarctica.
2: that, and I always wondered how could they be how could they be so certain that this meteorite had come from Mars? What would have projected a meteorite from Mars to land on the Earth?
3: Yeah, well, there could have been uh, a meteorite strike on Mars that knocked it out of orbit, etc. Okay. But what is interesting about that, since people have looked at that. There was a news article uh, that came out on it that the on- basically the only people that still believe that that's evidence of life on Mars are just the one or two people that found it. It has <laughs> okay. been rejected. It had that uh, first proposed the theory, not necessarily that found it, but, but it has been rejected by the scientific community, and that started this whole exobiology study at NASA, and the origi- uh, originator of that study turns out to be uh, from uh, a false find.
1: And, and Dwight, the, the fact that earth, life only exists here on Earth makes the theory of the Big Bang even more extreme because it, it, it reduces the likelihood that it could happen if this is the only place in that Big Bang where life could occur, Correct. Uh, yes. Yeah.
3: I tell you what. If you take uh, a microscope and look in pond water, look at those single-celled organisms, and explain how that came from a fire explosion from nothing, uh, common sense has to kick back in at some point.
2: Yeah. Even even just a single-cell living organism, and try try to tell me how that happened. When you think about all the complexities that are involved in just that single-celled organism, uh, I got a question, and I'm not. I don't understand the question. I'm going to read it, uh, Dwight. If you if you pick up on this, we may have to get our questionnaire to give us uh, more clarification okay. he quotes john one one through five in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it he says i have struggled with the connection between this reference of light word being at the beginning and its possible connection to a different time frame for for creation, given the 24-hour cycle creation of creation on day four. And he asked for our thoughts. I, I'm not following that question. Do you see anything in that, Dwight?
3: No, I don't. I I look at uh, in John one, Jesus' is a spiritual light. For
2: yeah, us. That, I would say the light of, that Jesus is in John one is, as you said, spiritual light. I'm not. Uh, uh, anyway, that was from a listener named Bruce. Bruce, if you got a little more clarification, we might be able to get back to that, but we're running out of time. But to send us a little more clarification if you can on what you mean there exactly, uh, Dwight. Real quickly, what are some of the other arguments that convince you? I think we 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 have. Danced all around the question, but we haven't said much about the idea of intelligent design. Uh, intelligent design in the vast universe, but also in the microscopic biology world, it certainly points to the idea of a creator, right?
3: Right, right. There's no,
2: and, and that is the exciting thing about the study of science.
3: When we uh, are able to see far away and see uh, the order of the universe, when we're able to see the accuracy of the earth and its orbit around the sun, when we see what would happen uh, if things were changed just a little bit, when you see all of that, all of that points to uh, precision. That points to the fact that we, there's a creator God, and the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. You look at that, and when you look at that creation, it screams out to anyone who will not blind themselves that God is the creator, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So when when we look out, God's fingerprints are everywhere, in the, all the way from
2: the stars down to the single cell organism. Exactly right, exactly right. Now, D- Dwight, the, the
1: scientists, though, want the Earth to be extremely old. Why Why the push? When? Uh, okay,
3: yes, yes, that's a good question. The reason why we need the Earth to be extremely old is because your great-granny was a shark. I can't sell that to you when you can go look at her, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I, we've got to remove that far enough Until it becomes plausible in somebody's mind. Let me give you a quote. I'm looking here at uh, The Cosmos by Carl Sagan. Here's just a quote at the uh, end of page 33. He says, An oak tree and I are made of the same stuff. If you go far far enough back, we have a common ancestor. And so what Carl Sagan is, that I'm related to the tree, makes a difference at my family reunion in the park when I go to hug my cousins. Uh, when I finish that, I need to go get me a, a, a tree and hug it, and that makes absolutely no sense to anyone. And the only way that can be sold is by sending it back billions of years and say, well, at one point the tree turned to this and this down the line.
2: So if evolution is true, we've we've spent we we really had thought we might get into some other aspects of the evolution question, but we've spent all of our time talking about the age of the earth, and and it is so critical to the to to addressing the evolution question because if evolution occurred it took a long 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 time to happen and if if you take the time factor out it becomes impossible and that's why that's why those who have a bias toward Evolution are desperate to prove like an old Like Anthony
1: age. was talking about bias as we examine the data, there's your bias. That's yeah. why people are examining the data and interpreting it the way uh, that they are, saying that we've been around – the earth has been around
2: billions of years. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I just think that there are so many uh, – Dwight, I, I'm, I'm not a prophet, obviously, but I give you a, a prediction. I, I just think that there are so many flaws in the theory of evolution that at at some point – the, the the so-called scientific community is going to have to give it up. I mean, it's such a flawed theory; it doesn't fit with what we know to be true. It, in fact, as I'm sure you you would agree, the theory of evolution is is contradictory to the known laws of science. Right, and, right, and. and and so I think at some point in the future, it may it may not be in our lifetimes, but at some point in the future, they're going to have to walk away from this and say, you know, that that was a mistake. It, it, it didn't happen, and we know we know it didn't happen. I don't think that they will re, that they will fall back to a belief in God. I think they'll go to something else. And I, and if I was going to predict what they're going to go to, and I already think there's some hint of this, is that they're going to say we were actually colonized here by. Aliens from outer space, the intelligent life from some other place in the universe came here and and, and colonized this planet. That's how we got here. They're not going to believe in God, but I, I guess it's kind of crazy. They're not going to believe in God, but they're going to believe in aliens. Uh, you know. yep.
3: uh, if you do that, then you have to be, uh, believe in creation, don't you? Some, something had to create those aliens. So, yeah, you
2: can, like you said earlier, you just, if you keep backing up far enough – you get to the point where you, you you still have an unanswerable question. For instance, the evolutionist has the unanswerable question of where did matter come from? Where did the matter that constituted the Big Bang come from? Where are we? We believe that the uncaused first cause was God. Right. Uh, they don't know what caused the first thing, and so we've got an answer that they don't have. Our faith supplies us with information that they can't that they can't provide uh in in all their scientific effort. I remember a story being told about of course obviously make believe story, but some atheists con uh were uh well I guess they wouldn't be atheists but in in this story, but anyway some men were suggesting in the presence of God that they could create life just like God did. And so uh, an uh, a supposed contest was posed that they God would create life, they would create life and so the men gathered up some dirt in their laboratory and began to, to to work on the dirt. And and God said, "Wait, wait a minute. Where'd you get that dirt?" And they said, "Well, we just went out and got some dirt." He said, "No, you got to make your own dirt. <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna make a man, you got to make your own dirt too." God made the dirt and He made the man. Uh, and and that just goes to the to the question of the fact that all these speculative theories, unproven as they are, simply cannot explain where the very basic elements of the universe came from.
1: And, Dwight, right. we, we don't need to give up the, the age of the earth and uh, try and compromise on that, do we? Uh, the evolutionist has to distort the data to prove that the earth has been around a long time. The creationist has no reason to compromise what the scriptures teach to try and make the earth old.
3: No, they don't. And, and one of the sad things to me, Greg, is that uh, eventually everybody's going to be creationist. But it's going to be too late for
2: some. Oh, that's exactly right. Uh, every, every knee shall bow. Uh, Romans chapter 12 says, and they will confess, but it'll be too late to affect their salvation. That that is exactly right. Well, Dwight, uh, we sure do appreciate it. I wish we I wish we had had time to get to some of the other uh, factors of evolution, but I think we've had a a very worthy discussion on on the 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 main objective here was to to, to Pick your mind about your knowledge of astronomy and its implications on the age of the earth and the universe. And it's, it, I, I do commend you. I, under, I, I can fully understand that in the field of study where you are, you've taken an unpopular and potentially professionally threatening position to uphold the truth of the scripture. And I really admire you for doing that, Dwight.
3: Well, I, I appreciate your work. I appreciate your work in the gospel. That is the, that's the most important thing, that we get ourselves right with God and with his book.
1: Well, that, that's true, Dwight. If there is a God, then there's someone we're going to have to give an answer to, and that's why the evolutionists don't want to accept the fact. Right. All right. We appreciate your time tonight.
2: Thanks, Dwight. I'm
1: all right, and uh, we are out of time, Dad. Thank you for the good discussion. It's certainly very beneficial. Appreciate Dwight's uh, good insight there.
2: Well, we really appreciate his expertise and his willingness to talk with us about these things. Uh, and I do hope that it's a faith-fortifying kind of discussion. As you said, Jacob, we do not need to give up what the Bible teaches about a young age for the earth. Uh, scientists are stating unproven and unprovable things when they try to argue that the, the earth and universe is old and and if we can take the time factor away, we don't even have to talk about anything else concerning evolution.
1: Scientists have been wrong so many times in the past. Not too many years ago, they thought if you sailed out in the ocean far enough, you'd fall off the edge and, and you'd just disappear. That's not too many years ago in our history. Right. Hey, scientists have been wrong repeatedly. The Bible's never been wrong when you just stick with what it says. Exactly right. All right. Thanks for your time tonight. We appreciate you being a part of the program. We hope it was beneficial to you. We look forward to you being back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.